All right. Hey, everyone. This is Matt with the Step Up PT podcast through APTA Kentucky. I have Danish with me. And Danish, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I have heard some wonderful news that you are at the forefront of the opioid battle in the state of Kentucky. Tell me about that. Well, I, I grew up in Kentucky and my parents were both physicians. Um, they started, uh, my dad's an anesthesiologist, mom was a psychiatrist. And uh, they started Kentucky's first multidisciplinary pain clinic. And uh, I joined in 2010 after I finished my fellowship. And the uh, uh, mission was to develop a model to treat pain without contributing to the opioid epidemic. Um, and uh, that has evolved into a multidisciplinary practice, taking into account or, or breaking down the patient into really four dimensions, uh, built with the acronym H-E-A-L or HEAL. And that's looking at somebody's health, their energy, activity, and lifestyle. Um, and when you, when you break it into those models, then it starts to become clear where the areas of need are for each individual and why they're, they're dealing with pain. That's really interesting. So, so tell me a little more about this model because, you know, when I think models, I think ICF model, biopsychosocial approach, things like that. So what makes this HEAL model different than those? Not, not much. I mean, it is a biopsychosocial model. Um, it's just contextualizing it for the patient and for providers, because you know, back in the 80s, multidisciplinary pain clinics, it was like every single one of them was multidisciplinary. Um, but as things evolved with opioids and how much pharmaceuticals had an influence on the evolution of pain management, we saw a rapid dissipation and dissolution of the interdisciplinary side of pain, and it became siloed pain management where in one arena you have interventionalists in another arena you've got medication management sometimes those overlap sometimes they don't um, then you have pt which from a healthcare standpoint or medical physician standpoint it, it's kind of this black box I, I was just joking with somebody that the first time i actually wrote a physical therapy prescription and learned how to what what content needs to be there was when I was a fellow. It means four years of medical school, four years of residency, and that was the first time I somebody had sat me down to explain what goes on a PT referral. That that's been kind of the way healthcare has evolved is we've dealt with massive knowledge by just creating these like deep specialties without overlap. Um, this this heal mechanism is really just bringing all of those those disciplines under one perspective so that the communication among the different disciplines can start to share the language uh, and work collaboratively. Well, and that's really interesting you bring up communication because I, that's exactly what I was thinking about when I heard this multidisciplinary approach. You know, I, I have a background in occupational health, work comp specifically, and that was a huge issue was, you know, we had so many different practitioners, so many different individuals involved in the care of this one person, but no one communicated with one another. 
So, and that was a huge problem that we had because, you know, obviously you brought it up with, you know, kind of the proliferation of, you know, some opioids and medication, you know, in the 1990s, siloed care and things like that. And the problem just got worse and worse and worse. So it sounds like we're taking a huge step in the right direction with, you know, obviously multidisciplinary care, communicative care, and obviously care to try to get folks not necessarily just off of opioids altogether, but to give them better quality of life. So, so then tell me like, how does PT play into this? Like how, like what's the PT's role in this process? James and I work hand in hand. Um, a lot of what we do is, is figure out how we can better collaborate with each other uh, in diagnosis and in treatment. So we're learning where the overlaps exist and uh, James has much better uh, diagnostic skills than I was trained. I mean, he goes down to certain nuances that I, in my training I was never exposed to. So I get to learn a lot of better diagnostic skills, hands-on diagnostic skills from him and uh, refine our ability to break down a joint into functional units to understand what functional units within that kinetic chain have broken down to cause the patient's pain. And then the handoff takes place where he gives me kind of a laundry list of suspicions. And then from an interventional pain side, I can pinpoint those specific targets to do what we call a pain map. Um, in essence, we're either numbing a structure, loading it uh, with, with just fluid to dilate tissue and take up some of the slack within that tissue, or visualizing it under some image, live image guidance, either diagnostic ultrasound or um, fluoroscopy, so we can actually visualize the uh, deficits that may be causing pain. And then once we the pain map, then it's a tag team again, because any kind of interventional workup or treatment plan that I put into place, whether it's using regenerative product, regenerative medicine, or orthobiologics like platelet-rich plasma or bone marrow aspirate concentrate to extract uh, stem cells. This this is kind of like uh, a gardener planting seeds, but not having anyone to tend the garden. So the handoff goes back to James, where he's <clears throat> maturing the um, the entities that I was able to intervene upon, uh, giving the proper loading and the proper time frame so that that structure knows how to best develop. We're, we're essentially taking old injuries and reinvigorating the inflammatory repair process uh, and then leveraging the uh, rehabilitative process to maximize the outcome of that, that intervention. That is extremely interesting. I mean, that, I mean, you talk about a comprehensive approach, that is about as comprehensive as you can get. So how widespread is this across the state? Are you guys the only ones doing this or is this in every town? No, this is, this is an evolution. We kind of uh, label ourselves as a living laboratory to figure out the process with the aspiration being to make this the new paradigm or how we manage acute and subacute pain. Uh, my, I, I kind of view it as chronic pain as a preventable disease. 
if you're able to intervene in the acute and subacute stages of an injury, then you can prevent the evolution to a chronic pain state. If you've missed that opportunity, there's still a road to recovery, but it's a harder and longer road than the properly timed uh, treatment approach. So we, we hope that this model catches on and it becomes the standard of care, but I know we're a long way off from that. So, so then I'm gonna ask you an opinion-based question. How do we make it the standard of care? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, Thank you. Because, <laughs> frankly, the the standard of care is there's a financial incentive to maintain the standard of care. Most practices or most pain clinics, it's it's a very volume driven practice. Um, so it's there's a, there isn't a lot of incentive to change. So we're trying to sort out how to make this cost sustainable or viable, um, or at least demonstrate the outcomes are so much superior that we can then go back to insurers and say, look, the outcomes we have are so much better than the standard of care. Give us an opportunity to, um, to, to, to get a better reimbursement uh, fee schedule to compensate for the extra time and effort. And I think healthcare is directed in that direction. Uh, I mean, there's value-based care models coming out. Mm. There's uh, uh, chronic care models. Uh, Medicare has some chronic care codes that are specific to pain management. And it's just figuring out how do we leverage those under this model uh, to to make this a competitive uh, financial model for pain management. Well, you bring a very good point. You know, I can remember one of my professors when I was in school said, you know, healthcare is in the business to put ourselves out of business, right? You know, if we make everybody right. better, we don't have anything to do. And but but at the same time, you hit on some very good points that we're still in this kind of fee for service volume based model. You know, with I won't say no, you know, emphasis on outcomes, but definitely we make our money on volume. So I, you know, it's it's amazing to me how you know, the, the economics of healthcare still really play into healthcare. So, so then have there been any inroads in, in getting that model to shift? There have, there are, uh, uh, regenerative clinics across the country that have been able to build, make contracts with, uh, self-insured organizations like, uh, a larger company that will ensure its own employee population. Uh, they've been able to get coverage for some of the regenerative strategies. Uh, so it gives me hope that that a model like this, where we're, we're taking it an even step further and incorporating, uh, you know, a multidisciplinary perspective, that 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 these models can also vie for. Uh, reimbursement under under these alternative payment plans there's a lot of i mean there's no question that uh this approach has better efficacy and cost viability but it's uh it's a matter of getting the system to uh have faith in in uh, an outpatient model that can do that it's kind of like an intensive outpatient program 
that needs a little bit more support than just a fee-for-service approach. Well, there are a lot of institutions across the country working on that too. Like I know uh, University of Vermont has mm -hmm. uh, um, an agreement with Blue Cross Blue Shield to to support a model like this. So I, I think it's going to happen, but it just takes some pioneers to evolve it and then demonstrate the, the efficacy outcomes. Well, that's really interesting. You know, and the other term that came to mind was risk mitigation, right? So, right. you know, I would I would look at a clinic that does do a lot of medication prescription as actually being more exposed to risk, right? Because of addiction and because of all the other issues that can happen with just taking oral-based medication or transcutaneous-based medication. It almost seems like your approach would actually lower your risk exposure. And have you seen that? Most certainly, yeah. Our, so we were able to follow how much medication we prescribe compared to the average clinic in mm -hmm. Kentucky, both in our specialty as well as primary care or just just regular clinics. And consistently, year after year, we've prescribed less than half the dosage, not only in other pain clinics, but in other, in all half of the dosage. This is the patient population who has been opioid exposed and opioid dependent. We see a patient who's opioid naive. The only situation in which I would opioids is for like a short burst for an acute uh, unabated pain scenario but for the most part we're able to manage the, these conditions without opioid exposure um, a lot of people don't like opioids have have kind of evolved as the gold standard for managing pain but if you if you look at the studies there's actually a lower NNT or number needed to treat for combination over-the-counter medications like combining acetaminophen and Tylenol. You get a greater percentage of the population responding with a 50% pain reduction, uh, more fourfold more than what you do with like oxycodone. So it's a it's it's opioids are not the gold standard for managing pain. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that we've had so many people exposed to it means that now we have to uh, figure out a way to help these patients manage without egging on the the dependency formation and the hyperalgesia and all the other problems. I mean, addiction is really a small problem or subset of problems with opioids. Well, you're exactly right. You're, you know, that goes back to basic pharmacology, right? You know, the lock and key theory. You know, and I think that's something right. that people don't necessarily realize is that that mechanism starts running within a couple of days of ingesting that medication. You know, I mean, your cells are constantly changing with that first dose. So, I, you know, I really applaud you guys for the work you're doing. And, you know, I, I want to see you guys succeed. I want to see this program, you know, go in and within Kentucky. And I want to see it go way beyond Kentucky. So keep doing what you're doing. I love it. Do you have any? Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you are welcome. Do you have any last words on this or anything that you would tell our current generation of PTs about this? Um, have courage. I, I think that a lot of PTs uh, under, underestimate how much knowledge they have and defer 
to the the physicians, the surgeons who are referring patients to them. But um, especially having worked with Dr. Escaloni and knowing just the wealth of knowledge that he has brought to me, uh, I think there there are a lot of opportunities to um, communicate back to the physicians and and build a collaborative relationship in which the respect and the, the growth can happen on both sides of the fence. So um, certainly have courage. We've got a lot of resources on our website and uh, we're always happy to reach out and connect with other other groups who are trying to build something similar to what we have this in this integrative umbrella. So uh, feel free to reach out to us. Absolutely. I really appreciate the time. I appreciate your insights. And you know, this is a heartfelt statement for me. Keep it up. You're doing great work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. You're welcome.